Good morning. We have a great topic this morning. Let's get us started with a question. Does God speak to you? What does God's voice sound like? Uh, do you want God to speak to you? Does God speak to you very often? I feel like sometimes when you ask this question, people are like, I want to say yes. Is that like, is that too forward? Like, can I say yes? I, I shouldn't say no. This is a church that wouldn't be very spiritual, right? Like, can we say yes that God speaks to us? Is that okay? Huh? Um, Mrs. Smith, the dishwasher, quit working. So she called a repairman. She had to go to work the next day. She really wanted her dishwasher fixed. So she said to the repairman, I'll leave the key under the mat, the, just leave the bill on the counter, uh, and, and please just let yourself in and, and fix the dishwasher. Don't worry about my Rottweiler, Brutus. He, he won't bother you, but do not under any circumstances talk to my parrot. Repairman shows up the next day, and he sees the biggest, meanest-looking Rottweiler he's ever seen in his whole life. Just like Mrs. Smith says, dog doesn't bother him, sits on the carpet while he goes about his work. The parrot, however, drives him crazy with incessant squawking and yammering and chattering. And finally, as he's about to finish up, he just can't take it anymore. And he yells, shut up, you ugly, stupid bird. To which the parrot replies, get him, Brutus. He didn't expect the parrot to respond. Today we're going to talk about God responding to us in much nicer ways. But it's common in religion, common in the American church, uh, to talk to God, to talk to God nicely, of course, and have really very little expectation that he will respond. But we're not praying into thin air. We're talking to somebody. We're talking to somebody real who, who cares about us, who talks back. And sometimes that can surprise us. This morning we're continuing in our series from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a book of prophecy. It records um, what the prophet Ezekiel uh, saw. Uh, he lived 500 years before Jesus. He was a priest whose life plans were interrupted by Israel's national tragedy when they were carted off in captivity to Babylon. God spoke to him. He became a prophet. He prophesied for 22 years from 592 years before Jesus to 570 BC. As a prophet, he, he kind of proclaimed what he heard from God to those around him and helped them interpret and understand what was happening to them. Why were they in exile in Babylon? Why had this happened? He said it was because they had broken God's gracious agreement with them. They had disregarded and rejected God's covenant agreement with them, but there was hope. God would receive restore them, and when he restored them, it would actually be even better than it was before. Now, the whole Bible is covered with prophecy, but there are 17 books in the Old Testament that are dedicated entirely just to what one prophet said. There are five major books and 12 minor books, and Ezekiel is just a great example of a book that is all of the, the utterances, the sayings of one particular prophet. And this morning, as we continue in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to be looking at how Ezekiel functioned as a prophet. What is prophecy? Oh, well, why is it important? What's the purpose? Do we still need it now? Uh, how did it work for Ezekiel? And how does it work for us? 
We believe here in the vineyard that God responds to us, that he talks to us, that his message, his guidance, he has direction and correction for us, that he loves us, that he cares about his kids, and that our Heavenly Father wants to communicate with us, that our Father does not give us the silent treatment. We believe as followers of Jesus that God loves us, he speaks to us, and that there's still a prophetic voice guiding and shaping and forming our world, that there may even be people who are called to be prophets still around. Many people consider Martin Luther King Jr. a good example of a prophetic, a modern prophet, because Dr. King had a different vision of reality. He he believed that segregation was wrong, but more than that, he saw what right looked like. He, he, He saw that there was a way forward from the great inequalities of resource and opportunity. He lived smack dab in the middle of segregation and poverty for black families, but he challenged the status quo with a different way of doing things. And as as with many prophets, this was not comfortable. Martin Luther King Jr. is regarded with great respect now, practically sainted, but he was hated while he was alive. While he was alive, polls showed that the the real majority of Americans uh, had an unfavorable opinion of him. He was controversial. Uh, People talk about him now as if he's just this kind, grandfatherly figure who never said anything wrong, and everyone agrees with 100%. Um, But he was killed for his message. He, he called people onto the carpet in ways that they did not like and enjoy. He questioned the, their right to live the way that they were living. He challenged the status quo, and that's what made him controversial. It's also what made him a prophet. And I think he's a good example, because sometimes when we read the book of Ezekiel, we can be like, hey, this isn't comfortable. Like, I don't like what this is saying. This this seems unpleasant. This seems controversial. Like, maybe there's something wrong with this prophecy. But I think that's what we should expect, actually, from the prophetic voice, that it challenges us. It may call out raw spots. It may be uncomfortable and controversial, and it may be a very different way of looking at the world. So this morning we're going to talk about hearing from God and how God leads us into a different reality. And I believe that our Heavenly Father wants to speak to us this morning. So let's pray together and then we'll dig into the book of Ezekiel. Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you spoke to Ezekiel long, long ago and that there are still things in Ezekiel that are so pertinent and so relevant for us this morning. We give you our hearts. Would you shape us and mold us by your word? Would you speak to our hearts and change us this morning? Would we not just be hearers of the word, but doers? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start a little bit back in chapter 5. The Spirit of God comes, or in chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes to Ezekiel and says um, in Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Stand up, son of man, said the voice. I want to speak with you. The spirit came into me as he spoke, and he set me on my feet. I listened carefully to his words. 
Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are stubborn and hard-hearted people. But I am sending you to them to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen and they refuse to listen, for remember they are rebels, at least they will know that they have had a prophet among them. So God's sending him very specifically to the Israel, the people of Israel, who he has a lot of history with. They've got a lot of background knowledge on this topic with a very specific message. Skipping forward uh, a little bit. Then I looked, and I saw a hand reaching out to me. It held a scroll, which he unrolled, And I saw that both sides were covered with funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. Then the voice said to me, Son of man, eat what I am giving you. Eat this scroll. Gulp. (laughs) Then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with this, he said. And when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. So he takes the word of the Lord and this this vision that he has. Um, And then it's a week later, skipping down in chapter 3. After seven days, the Lord gave me a message. He said, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. If you warn the wicked, saying, You are under the penalty of death, but you fear. If I warn the wicked, saying, You are under the penalty of death. But you fail to deliver the warning. They will die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their death. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins. But you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. So in the midst of that, we're going to zoom in on a couple of key verses here. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So the voice said to him to to eat this scroll, to to kind of take in um, what the Lord was speaking to him. So he opened his mouth, um, and he he ate it, filled his stomach with it, and it tasted sweet. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, it's kind of funny how prophets, it's like they get together, um, and they say similar things. Jeremiah said, uh, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Ezekiel didn't just hear God's word and, and write it down and then, then hand it off. He, he consumed them metaphorically, spiritually. Uh, he, he didn't hold God's word far off. He took it into his heart. He didn't just taste it. He filled his stomach with it. Uh, it became part of him. The word of God nourished him, energized him, and empowered him to his calling as a prophet. Then God gave him a metaphor for what his job as a prophet was going to be like. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman over Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. Being a watchman was a real responsibility. The watchman was posted on the edge of the camp or or on the city walls to warn people about any coming dangers, to to alert them for for a threat. Uh, So if there's an attacker creeping up to the town, you raise the alarm, and then the town does not get robbed in their sleep or worse. 
It's the watchman's responsibility to alert people for danger. If the watchman gets the word out fast, lives can be saved. It's a big responsibility. It also means if you, say, if you see something, you make a lot of noise. You're unpleasant. You disturb people. You don't see the enemy creeping closer and closer and say, but you know, everybody's had a hard day, and they were really tired, and they're just sleeping so peacefully. Look at them, little angels. Maybe I'll just like start some quiet, calming music and start a wake-up routine and then some bells and, oh, oops, too late. Right? Stephen and I lived in a house in Connecticut that had some problems with their uh, smoke detectors. And these things would go off in the middle of the night for no reason. We had the whole fire department there looking at our smoke detectors. And, and it was very embarrassing, actually, because they said it was just uh, batteries. And like, how is it just batteries? I'm so embarrassed. But they would go off in the middle of the night like, warning, warning, run for your lives. Oh, never mind. And you will never see Stephen Watson in a worse mood than when he has been woken up at 2 a.m., the third night in a row for nothing. And then we go through the whole house and check all 15 smoke detectors that we had in that house. Watchmen are important. And when they are dependable and not defective, they are wonderful, helpful, necessary, but they're not always pleasant. And there are lots of other metaphors that Scripture uses for prophetic leaders, shepherds, kind of guiding and shaping. Uh, they're, they're called teachers, uh, uh, parents, fathers, uh, servants even. But no other metaphor has the same sense of, of urgency. The watchman prophet tells us that there is danger out there. They are things that we need to be alerted to. But the only reason we have watchmen so that you can do something about it. There's no point in having a watchman if you don't have any weapons to go get. If there, There's no point in, in waking up to do something about that. You have a watchman because there's hope and there's help and you can do something about it. And if there's a warning sound that you can escape the danger. Having a watchman tells us that there is hope and there is help. But the watchman prophet, the watchman's not responsible for defending the city. He's not the army captain. He's not the mayor. He's not the town guard. He's responsible for his obedience, but he's not responsible for the results. That's not his job. He sounds the alarm. He gets the word out there. Ezekiel told people that they were in exile because they had broken their covenant with God, but he told them that there is hope and there is restoration out there. He spoke truth into the situation for the people of Israel as they sat in captivity in Babylon. And I think that's what prophets do. They speak God's truth and they show us a different vision of reality. They help tell us what's going on and why. Ezekiel opened the windows to God's plan. He showed them what was going on. He gave them eyes of hope and a vision to see what God was doing. Prophets open a window to reality. They, they say, look, look out this window. You don't have to be stuck in this small little room. Now, now go, go, walk out that door. Ezekiel, like all prophets, he, he, he pointed to God's kingdom in a way that shattered the power and the structure of the kingdoms of the world and pointed to God's coming kingdom. One theologian says that the task of the prophetic 
is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and a perception that is alternate to the consciousness and perception of the dominant society around us. We're called to think differently, to think differently about what we do, to think differently about the things we own, to think differently about the way our world works. The prophetic voice speaks of God's reality. Instead of conforming to religious or cultural stories, the prophet submits to God's story. Instead of thinking like, what's the best we can do? The prophet thinks about what's the best that God can do. Instead of submitting to, to popular opinion, the prophet is radically countercultural. So we have these prophets who have a very specific calling, uh, both in the Old Testament, and we think, you know, there's some people with prophetic giftings around now, too, maybe even in this church. Um, but we also have the prophetic voice that kind of calls us into a different way of living, calls us into a different reality, helps us to look outside the way we usually do things. But all of us are called to listen to God's voice and to hear God. Another prophet, Joel, writes in Scripture that God says that he will pour out his Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on servants, men and women alike. God wants to talk to people. I think of uh, teaching a Sunday school class back when we were in Connecticut, and um, it was kindergartners, and I, I just led them in a time of, you know, we prayed, welcomed the Holy Spirit in, and just led them in a little time of listening. And then I said, so did anyone, you know, see anything or, or hear anything? And there's this one little kid, Sam, uh, cute as a button, and he pops up and he says, I saw my mom and she was praying for me. It was just, it was so simple. So he was just like, I saw my mom and she was praying for me. It did not predict future events. It did not, right? But it was very clear and specific and just really beautiful. The Lord has spoken to me in many ways. By far the most common is through scripture. I'll be reading the Bible and something will just like stand out to me. Or I'll, I'll be reading the Bible and something will just catch my attention or bother me even, and I'll, I'll dig into it. God speaks to me through scripture. He also speaks to me in prayer. I'll be praying and, and talking to God, and then my conversation will, will, will blend, and it'll become a little bit more of a, of a two-way conversation. I'll start writing it down, and, and I, I, instead of just talking to God, I'm also hearing from, from God. I'll, I'll get pictures, images, um, just, just words uh, that mean something personal to me. And this is nothing new. Followers of Jesus, everyone who has the Holy Spirit, um, has been doing this for the whole history of the church since Jesus. Um, Julian of Norwich is one of the people I think of. She was a nun in the 1300s. And God showed her a picture of, of like a hazelnut sitting in her, her palm. And from this picture of a nut in her hand, this is what she said. She said, the Lord showed me a little thing, the quality of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand as it seemed. And it was as round and small as any ball. And I thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally in my mind, it is all that I have made. And I marveled at how it would last, for I thought suddenly it would fall into nothingness, 
for it was fragile, and I was answered in my understanding. It lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things, their beginning in God's love. And in this little thing, I saw three truths. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. And just from that one little picture, she saw the vulnerability of creation and God's care for us and how God makes everything and takes care of it in his love. I just think like, I want to be so, um, I want to communicate with God and be so in tune with God's heart that I see a picture of an acorn and just all of that spills out, right? God gives us pictures. He gives other people pictures for us. Uh, Before we moved here, we were living in Providence and we knew Rob and we would just come here to, to have service with you guys sometimes and Sometimes he would invite Stephen or or me to preach. And we were here probably a year before we moved here. And uh, Sue Birchman, I was preaching, and Sue Birchman came up to me afterwards and she said, I had a picture of you, and you had moved here, and you you were living temporarily with Brian and Lisa Graves. I thought, I don't know who they are. I I doubt they want us living with them. Um... And she said, in this picture, uh, I saw your husband um, coming out of the kid's own door, chasing a, a older kid who was running over to the drums, and he had a younger kid uh, who was kind of, he had in tow with him. And he was running after the older kid going towards the drum set with the younger one. He was kind of like, no, stop, right? And she says, so, do you have any kids? I said, Nope, we, we don't have any kids. Um, we're actually in the adoption process. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to adopt. She's like, oh, well, the graves adopted too. I said, oh, okay. You know, and I didn't think that much of it, but, I mean, it made me pay, pay attention. I stopped. I noticed. About nine months later, Rob starts talking to us. We, are, we enter some conversations about us moving here, coming on staff, and we did not base this decision at all on the picture that Sue Birchman saw. We based it really entirely on praying into our calling and our vocation, on what the church needed, on what we, we felt called to. Uh, friends and family were praying. It was really very specifically about this move, this church, this place. But you know, her word did, make, did help me pay attention. And now that we're here, two years later, we have two kids. Now that the picture of Stephen running across the sanctuary with like one kid this way, one kid that way, very accurately describes our Sunday afternoons. It's encouraging. It's confirming, right? It's really like, it's helpful to our spirit. And we got all of this, and Lisa and Brian Graves did not even have to have long-term house guests. <laughs> You're welcome. This is something we do as a vineyard. Last weekend, I was with the youth group at a camp in Pennsylvania, and this is something that they just do regularly as part of their worship service. So one of the worship leaders, you, they're always like a 16 or 17-year-old, will just say, hey, if you guys feel like the Lord is putting anything on your heart, go find random youth pastor over there, talk to him, he'll facilitate you sharing that with the group. You know, in a group of 400 teenagers, you should probably have some filtering process, so go go talk to him. Though really, also, if you're going to go find a random youth pastor, talk to a stranger, and then come onto a platform in front of 400 teenagers, that's a pretty good filtering process in and of itself. 
but they open it up for kids to share what they feel like the Lord is speaking to them. And uh, there's this one girl, probably about 14, a young woman of color, and she stands up and she says, I feel like some of you here feel like you don't belong in the vineyard because of race. And then she sits back down. And one row in front of me is a woman who, who I know in passing from one of the other vineyard churches who is in her mid-20s, finishing up a seminary degree. She's a black woman, and she is discerning a call to be ordained in the vineyard church. The vineyard's a new movement for her, but she's currently at a vineyard church. And you know what we don't have a ton of in the vineyard? is 20-something women of color pastoring in senior leadership. And she turns around, and the look on her face, I mean, it's just like right there. And she goes and grabs the woman next to me, and they go off, and they pray. Because you know what? When a 14-year-old reads your mail, you want to go pray about it. This is something that we believe that God just speaks to us because he, he loves us and we want to lean into that. And it's part of what we do here in the Vineyard Church. Let's turn back to Ezekiel. Uh, there's a line that's repeated continually throughout the book of Ezekiel. We hear it for the first time in chapter 5. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord or then you will know that I am the Lord. It's repeated 70 times throughout the book. It's the mantra, it's the course. Scholars call it the recognition formula, the phrase or the form that's repeated again and again that people recognize God. More than the chorus or refrain, it's the whole point. You will know that I am God. God wants us to know him. Nothing grieves him more than when his kids don't know who their dad is. And it's quite astonishing that God wants us to know him, wants to be, be meddled with in, in this way. But he says that he wants nothing more. Hosea 6, 6, God says, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. More than I want religious observances or you to come to church, I want you to know me. Revelation is fundamental to who God is. Showing himself, disclosing himself, getting people to know him is a core part of God's character. One theologian says God has no more stopped being revelation than he stopped being love, than he stopped being anything else. He hasn't grown quiet. Revelation of God is not a past event that we have to read books about, to gather secondhand knowledge about. God wants to interact with us. He wants to show us who he is. The God who spoke the forces of creation into being, who, who created love and joy and beauty, who roars for justice, who weeps for the oppressed, the God who took the Israelites out of Egypt, who spoke to the prophets of old, who will one day come back and make everything new. He wants us to know who he is. So he did. The invisible became visible in Jesus. The revelation of God is completed in Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. To know Jesus is to know God. In Jesus, God completes his plan that he told Ezekiel that they will know that I am the Lord. God wants us to know him. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. 
the purpose of the prophetic is that we know God, is that we know who our Father is. We know who we are and where we come from. We know that our Father loves us. We know what He's like. In Jesus, the love of God had had eyes to smile with. In Jesus, the creator of the universe had dirty hands. Justice took on arms to, to turn over tables of exploitation. Mercy had a back to carry our punishment on. In Jesus, we can know really who God is. Let's stand as we close this morning. Worship team, if you want to come on up. God wants us to know that he is the Lord, that he has good plans for us, that he loves us, that he is in control. God wants us to know him first and foremost through Jesus, in, in the Bible, in prayer, through images, words. He doesn't want us to live in the closed room of things being the way they are in this world. He wants to open that window through his words, he wants to open that window so that we can breathe the fresh air of reality. We can see the sunshine of what he really has planned for us. And we can walk into it in real personal, personal, applicable ways. God has better for us, and his voice will tell us that. Our Father does not give us the silent treatment. He speaks to us, and he loves us. And we're going to enter a time of worship um, and if you feel like the Lord is uh, speaking to you, um, we're going to do what we, we did on our youth retreat. Um, not, not all of it. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. Um, but we're going to do the uh, hearing from God part that we did on our youth retreat. Very normal vineyard thing. Um, go find uh, Stephen's going to be our microphone guy. Um, and you can go find him, and he'll facilitate you sharing that with, uh, with the group gathered here today, because your word might not just be something that encourages you, something the Lord is speaking to you, it might be something that is encouraging to everyone here. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that your um, wonderful works for us are not a thing of the past written in your Bible that we say, oh, that's so nice to know. So nice that you did that in the past, but it's continuing here and now. That you are fighting on our side every day. That you are 100% for us. You lead us into life. You lead us into truth. And you do it gently with such love and such grace, Jesus. We welcome your voice to be speaking to us this morning. We know that your voice is always love. It's always clear. We have nothing to be afraid of with your voice. Yeah, would you open our ears to hear you? Would you open our hearts to receive your love? Would you open our lives to live differently, live in freedom, live in your truth, in your peace? We want to receive from you this morning, Jesus. We want to receive something that's greater than we can produce and manufacture on our own. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.